The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. We are so uh, glad that you are here. How many of you as parents uh, have surprised yourself by uh, finding that you say things to your kids that you never thought you would say to them? Things that your parents said to you that you rolled your eyes at so many times and then you find them coming out of your mouth. Like just that reality of when, when kids are asking questions and you run out of answers, and so you use the phrase at the end, I heard it over here already, because I said so. I mean, that's, that is the, 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 the trump card of parental wisdom. I'm done, so because I said so. Let's, let's move on. If you have another question, that's fine, but we're done with that one. Another uh, famous one has to do with comparing, when our kids are comparing to other people, and we say, if your friend jumped off a cliff, would you? I'm not sure where all these cliffs are coming from. I, this, this seems like a, a, a more common, a, I mean, a less common situation than what parents assume it is, because we bring that up all the time about these cliffs. There's not a lot of cliffs uh, here in Phoenix. One of the ones that my uh, kids get really frustrated with, it's something that I say often, is that they ask a question, and, uh, and I say, we'll see. I mean, it's just a natural response, and, and it's frustrating for kids because it doesn't mean yes, it doesn't mean no, it doesn't even really mean maybe, it doesn't mean I'm thinking about it, it means be quiet, is what it means, really. <laughs> And, and so we say, we say, we'll see, which is so not helpful. I might as well, if they ask me a question, I might as well just say, oh, parley, 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 because there's as much information that they get out of uh, simply saying, we'll see. Frustrating, frustrating for kids. Or then there's the end of the meal agreement where we say, I mean, this is just a standard piece to say, uh, and it, you know, it's worked into the uh, Pink Floyd song, that you can't have dessert unless you've eaten your meat, uh, unless you've eaten your food. And so, you know, we say you cannot have the chocolate sundae until you've finished your french fries. Come on, eat them, eat them. I mean, no wonder our country is so obese. I mean, we have some of these great rules that we pass on to kids. Now, one final one is the title of this morning's message. That the number of times that we say it's for your own good as a way to motivate kids. And so what we're doing today is we're looking at God's version of that phrase. It's for your own good. And how does that play a part in our pursuit of holiness, in our journey? As we head towards that, would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you that we have the opportunity today to focus on you, that um, May we pursue you in this place, God. There are so many things that are pursuing our hearts and our time and our affection. And so, uh, God, would, would you just help those things to just be uh, washed away so that we can spend this moment pursuing you. We, we give you our hearts, our minds. We give you access to these things so that we can be transformed into the likeness of your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, we are a people of incentive. I mean, we need incentive in order to do stuff. That is the way life works. Uh, we typically uh, don't do the right thing simply because it's the right thing. When you're uh, putting Brussels sprouts in front of your children, uh, it is not typically enough to just say it's good for you. 
It's not even enough to kind of walk them through the value of the proteins and the, the vitamins and the antioxidants that are involved with the Brussels sprouts. That's not typically a profound motivator for a six-year-old. We've got to give a very clear incentive. See that chocolate cake on the counter. You eat this, you get that. It's not French fries deal. It's you eat this, and then you can have the chocolate cake. We naturally need a very clear incentive. When I was a little bit younger, and I was uh, in seminary, I was in graduate school for theology. It was a three-year program. And during those three years, I roomed with other guys. And I did not change my bed sheets very often. Okay, three years, I did not change my bed sheets. Uh, uh, see, because I didn't get a real clear incentive for that. I had a shower every morning, so whatever bed bugs were involved, they were all washed off by the time I got into life. I mean, I didn't really see the value. I didn't have an obvious, clear incentive. Uh, you may, I didn't date a lot. Uh, uh, but, but, I mean, we all, I mean th- th- there's got to be an incentive for us. The big game is this afternoon, and so, uh, as Brian so eloquently said, it's Team A versus Team B, and, and so the coaches of both those teams, they have a natural incentive to win the game, to, be, to make history. But uh, as most of us know, there's a little added incentive today because of sibling rivalry. There's even greater incentive. They've got to win this game. We need incentive. Why do we wake up early in the morning to read? Why do we wake up early in the morning to exercise? Why do we order salad with dressing on the side? So we get a little less dressing involved in it. Why would we do those things? Why do some people wash their sheets more than once every three years? Some people do, I've heard. And so, why do we do uh, these things? If there are no consequences, then we will not stop something that we should be stopping. If there are no benefits, we will not start something that we should be starting. We are naturally people who need incentive. So this whole year, we're talking about the pursuit of, of holiness, that we're looking at God's overall story, which is called the whole shebang. It's not just the Bible story. It's the story of human existence, the whole thing. And we're looking at throughout that whole journey, there is an invitation and a challenge for us to pursue holiness, that every day of our lives, every decision we make, can we do it in a way that is honoring to God? But in this journey, what is our incentive It is a difficult journey to pursue holiness. It's hard. So why would we want to do it? Why would we want to go through that hard work? We are a people who need incentive. What is our incentive? I launched uh, the thing a few weeks back. Week number one, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1. And Peter uh, quotes God saying, Be holy because I am holy. And he's actually quoting what God had said in the book of Leviticus. So in the New Testament and in the, New, in, and in the Old Testament, there's this consistent piece, be holy because I am holy. So a natural question is there, do you want to be holy? Do you truly want to be holy? Does that have any meaning for you? Or you kind of go, yeah, I'm, I'm not there yet. 
Why would we spend all of this time this whole year, all of this effort, kind of going after different areas and seeing what Scripture has to say about all this, if you have no interest in being holy? What does that mean? Do you have any incentive to be holy? And so both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God says, God gives us a reason. Be holy because I am holy. Well, if we're honest, is that truly an incentive for you? Really? God says, be holy because I'm holy. If you go to the gym and, and, and a guy comes up to you and says, be muscular because I am muscular. <laughs> now, that likely wouldn't be me uh, saying that, but somebody might say that to you. How motivating is that? Or a woman at work says, be flirty because I am flirty. Again, probably not me, but, uh, but is that enough? Is that enough of a motivation for you? What if it's not something that you're interested in? Maybe that's something somebody else is interested in or is good at or wants, but that's, we can't assume that that's something that we're interested in. So God says, be holy because I am holy. Are you interested in being holy? What is an incentive for this whole journey that we're taking? I want to go after this by playing a little bit of a game with you, okay? We all love games. Now, this game is called, What Do These Four Things Have in Common? Okay, I'm going to put four things up on the screen, and I invite you to, to think about what do these four things have in common. Here's the first one. Arizona, salsa, hell, my wife. <laughs> things that are hot. Thank you very much. Yes. Yes. All right, see, you, that's, that's, yeah, it's an easy one. Okay, next one. Mr. Potato Head, McDonald's, Barbie doll, Juno Smalley. Let me just give you a hint. It's not the same answer as the first one. Um, it's something different. Anybody? Wow, what do those things have in common? They were all made in the 50s. Uh, are you with me here? Okay. Uh, let's see. Here's another one. Unemployment, immigration, an Uzi, and President Obama. They're all words that start with a vowel. You thought I was going to do something different there, didn't you? You thought this was going to be one of my mistakes for the year, didn't you? No, no. I'm learning. I'm getting older. I'm getting wiser. Simply words that start with a vowel. Okay, one last one, and we're moving on. Some of you, just don't leave. Don't leave. Okay, uh, one last one. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29 says, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always, so that it may go well with them and their children forever. Deuteronomy 12, 28. Be careful to obey all these regulations I'm giving you, so that it may always go well with you and your children after you. Deuteronomy 19, 13. Show no pity. You must purge from Israel the guilt of shedding innocent blood so that it may go well with you. Deuteronomy 22.7, you may take the young, but be sure to let the, mother's, the mother go so that it may go well with you and you may have a long life. This is a pretty easy one. So that it may go well with you. Yes, they're all from Deuteronomy. And these are just four of many times in the book of Deuteronomy where God gives us a very clear, very tangible incentive in terms of the pursuit of holiness so that it may go well with you. God understands our need for an incentive. 
He understands the way we work. We've got to have a reason that we don't naturally just make the right choices because they're the right choices. He understands how our minds and our hearts work. He understands we need to have a tangible benefit. And God says repeatedly in Deuteronomy, right after he gives all these laws and commands, he says repeatedly in Deuteronomy, it's for your own good. Believe me, it's for your own good. All these things I'm talking about. Last week I talked about Deuteronomy chapter 6, in which we find the Shema. And in that chapter, there are multiple places where God reinforces this whole idea. I want to take a look at it real briefly. Deuteronomy chapter 6. The chapter begins, verse 1, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Okay? There's just just the way to pursue holiness. So that you and your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Then there's the Shema, this central piece to Jewish faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he says, verse 18, do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you. Verse 24, the Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today, repeatedly, over and over again. Moses says, the reason all of this stuff is happening is for your own good. The pursuit of holiness is for your own good. Let me give you a very real, very relevant, yet perhaps uncomfortable example. The idea of pornography Now, the pursuit of holiness says, don't do it. Stay away from it. Don't fill your minds with those images because you'll carry them them with you uh, for the rest of your life sometimes. Don't train your brain into thinking that that's what the male body or the female body is supposed to look like. Don't train your brain into thinking that the person you're married to or the person you will be married to is not good enough because he or she it doesn't compare to the fake person on the screen or on the page. Don't do it in your pursuit of holiness. And the, and, and the world says, come on. Why do you have to be so churchy? Why do you have to be so, such fuddy-duddies? Over there, you Christian people. Let me do my own thing. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this in the privacy of my own home. I'm not hurting anybody. Don't judge me. Stand back. Yet, secular research is showing more and more evidence that ongoing pornography has disastrous impact on your intimacy. 
that, that pornography, it doesn't, it doesn't stimulate sexual drive. In the long run, it actually reduces sexual drive and, ha- and can have a significant negative impact on your sexual intimacy. That perhaps part of your current sexual intimacy issues could have been connected to pornography issues from the past. That it just does something to us. What if the pursuit of holiness is not about God saying, I want to restrict you from this, I want to restrict you from this, I want to take pleasure away from you from this, but it's God saying, it's for your own good, whether you understand it or not. I want you to think about this stuff and embrace this stuff so that it may go well with you and your future relationships. That's why we have to talk about this stuff this year. That's why we're going after this stuff. So that it will go well with you. Avoiding putting some things into our hearts and into our minds are truly for our own good. It's for our own good. Now, when do we typically use that phrase with our kids? When do we say, hey, it's for your own good? We typically use that phrase when things are not going well, when it's bad, when people are not interested in something, when there's resistance to something. We typically don't say it's for your own good when something is pleasurable or when, when it's agreeable. We don't typically say, go ahead, have some more strawberries because it's for your own good. We don't have to say that. We don't say, go ahead, you can continue to bounce on the trampoline because it's healthy for you. It's for your own good. Good job. No, we say that phrase when there's resistance. And so, with regard to the pursuit of holiness, with regard to our relationship with God, do you have resistance with God in terms of what he's calling for you, in terms of your pursuit of holiness? Is there resistance there? As you think about his laws and his commands and his guidelines and his boundaries in terms of how to do life, as you think about what your conscience is is challenging you, do you have resistance to that stuff? Is it difficult? Is it, is it hard? Is it, do you have resistance to, the, to what God is saying to you? Of course you do. Of course you do. Otherwise, holiness would be easy. I mean, otherwise, we would ne- there'd be no need for us to pursue it. I mean, it's going to be hard. These decisions are hard. That's why we have to pursue holiness. Otherwise, it would, just, it would just happen naturally. I think oftentimes what it is, holiness is embracing and understanding delayed gratification. And this is something that some of us have a hard time with. The delayed gratification piece that says, I am willing to sacrifice in this decision, in this moment, in this experience, Even though it's difficult for me to do so, I'm willing to sacrifice here because I understand there is a benefit further down the road. I understand that it will go well with me if I delay gratification. That with regard to pornography, there is a desire right now to enter into that experience. To, uh, I mean, it's difficult not to when it's so available and so present. And the delayed uh, uh, gratification says, I will make decisions and boundaries and accountability so that I do not experience what I want to experience right now because I understand that it will go well with me in terms of my future intimacy with my spouse or my future spouse. It's delayed gratification. 
And it's part of spiritual maturity. What we're looking at this year is that there is this growth of spiritual maturity from intimacy to adulthood. And we see this, we will see this as a theme throughout Scripture. That God is starting off with the children of Israel. He's giving them the basics. He's got to start somewhere with them. And where we start with in terms of spiritual maturity is, is we want it now. We want pleasure now. We want what we want now. I want a sports car now, even though I can't afford it. I mean, that's the whole tension of delayed gratification. Instead of, say, instead of the mature, the spiritually mature who say, okay, I understand that if I sacrifice now, I will benefit later. And that rolls over into so many areas of our lives. Financially, relationally, spiritually, sexually, it's an issue of delayed gratification. So often holiness is an issue of delayed gratification. It's not God saying, I don't want that beautiful thing for you. It's God saying, not now, not in that way. I have something better for you. I want you to trust me with this because it will go well with you. It will go well with you. It really is for your own good. There's a song by Katy Perry. Uh, that says, uh, I'm falling from cloud nine, I'm wide awake. Anybody know that song? I'm so hip. It's like crazy. <laughs> I'm so on it. Okay, so, so Katy Perry has this song. I really don't understand the song. I don't understand what's going on with her. Is, it, is she doing well? Is she not doing well? It talks about cloud nine, but she's falling from it, so I'm not sure what's going on with her. But there's a great line in that song about holiness where she says, I wish I knew then what I know now. I wish I knew then what I know now. I'm confident every person in the room today can connect with that phrase. That there's some part of our lives where we wish we could turn back the clock and revisit that moment, that night, that decision, that relationship. I wish I knew then what I know now. Now, for those of us who are parents or teachers or mentors or, or coaches or leaders, what is our responsibility in terms of helping those who have not yet made the poor decisions that we've made? What, what, is, our, what is our responsibility there? I mean, are, we, are we supposed to pour into them? Or are we supposed to let them just figure it out because we're the ones who had to figure it out? That they need to go through the school of hard knocks in the same way that we went through the school of hard knocks. Are we going to sit back and say, hey, when I was there, I wouldn't have listened to anybody anyway. So why would I assume that they're going to listen to somebody? I'm just going to step back as their parent, as their leader, whatever. I'm going to step back and let them make their own mistakes. Now, there are times, I understand, life is complicated, and there are times where we, where we have to just let them uh, make, our mistake, make mistakes, etc. But what is our responsibility in terms of letting people we care about know that the decision that they're making right now that if they pursue holiness, it will go well with them. It will go well with them. What, what's our responsibility in that journey? What are we called to? What is God challenging us to do in situations like that? This is really the safe, dangerous conversation. 
we have up in the lobby there. It's a safe place to visit, dangerous place to stay. The safe place to visit means that we will make every effort to not be judgmental. That with whatever you brought into this room, we're not pointing fingers. We're not saying, oh, well, that's what's been a part of your past. Well, then you're in a different category. That's not the grace of God. But the safe peace doesn't mean we are to remain silent about issues of sin. Safe place doesn't mean that we're going to be silent about self-destructive behaviors that we see in people that we love and that we care about. That's where the dangerous peace rolls in. The dangerous piece is saying, in the pursuit of holiness, I love you enough to challenge you and to remind you that it will go well with you if you follow God's guidelines. The value of delayed gratification. That's, that's where the dangerous piece comes in. That's why we do what we call evangelism. Evangelism is a big scary word that basically just means that we are called to share with others about who Jesus Christ is. We're to, to invite persons that we care about to something meaningful so they can have an understanding of who Jesus is. We don't do that for our own sake or for the church's sake. We do that for their own good. If you believe Jesus really does offer freedom and grace and love, if you really believe that, then wouldn't it make sense that, that we would want people to know what we wish we knew back then? Wouldn't it make sense that we would want to pass that on in that way? Going back to the pornography example one last time. That the reality is that when we pass that on, I wish I knew then what I know now. The reality is that when we pursue those things, it will be disastrous to intimacy in our future relationships. There are many persons in this room who could stand up here right now and say, I wish I knew when I was 10 or when I was 13 or when I was 20 what impact that would have on my sexual intimacy right now. What is our responsibility with this? And that's what evangelism is. Evangelism is saying, I am going to love you dangerously enough to invite you into the, to the grace and the love of Jesus Christ <laughs> so that you can experience freedom here on this earth and that you can experience freedom in eternity with God. That's why we do, uh, biannually, we have our, our outreach offering where everything we take in goes beyond these doors to love others, in addition to other ways that we do outreach. We have local outreach so that we reach out to others and say, we really believe it's for their own good that they would understand who Jesus is and what he did for them. That there's a global outreach angle that says, we believe there, there are stories around the world where persons need to understand who Jesus is. Let me just take a tangent for a moment, a quick tangent, and I'll come right back to Katy Perry. This tangent uh, is, is connected in terms of the global outreach piece. This week on Tuesday, we are launching a class called Pathways. And I actually talked about this in November of last year as we were talking about a relationship with Christ leads us to mission. It has a purpose. And that that, there's a part of that purpose for you as an individual and for us as a church to have an impact around the world in terms of those who do not yet know who Jesus is. That there are 1.6 billion people of the 7 billion people in the world who do not have access to the gospel. 
They do not have access to information about who Jesus is. They don't have the opportunity to decide whether or not to accept Jesus. And 97% of missions offerings go towards persons around the world who do have access to the gospel. Less than 3% go towards the difficult 1.6 billion who have not heard about Jesus. So this Pathways course is an invitation for, uh, for any of you to understand more about God's design and God's plan to reach all the nations of the world for their own good. And it's a big deal. Um, we are flying in experts each week uh, for this class. It's actually a $200 class per person that we're being able to offer for $49. And if you think that might be a part of your spiritual journey, it begins this Tuesday. There is a table in the lobby if you want more information. They even have cards that say uh, first class ticket so that you can come to the first class and check it out without paying just to see if it's something for you to learn more about, for you to just allow God to touch that part of your life. Okay, end of tangent. Katy Perry says, I wish I knew then what I know now. We have a responsibility to pass on to those who have not yet made the mistakes that we've made. And that's part of the journey. But the reality is, as far as, far as our journey, we can't go back. We, I mean, we can have experiences spiritually where we can experience the forgiveness of God. Absolutely, He offers that kind of forgiveness. We can nail it to the cross here. In just a few moments, we'll have an opportunity to do that. But we can't go back and change that decision. It's the reality of life. All we have access to are the decisions we're making now. And so this whole year is an invitation to pursue holiness, to pay attention to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit in you that is challenging you and inviting you to things so that when you're here, you don't have to say, I wish I knew then what I know now. That you can say, I'm so glad I pursued then so that I'm benefiting now. That's the challenge, the dangerous yet beautiful challenge is for us to pursue holiness, not just for our short-term benefit, but for our long-term benefit, for the glory of God. I want to take the last few moments of our time here together. The band's going to gather up and give you an opportunity to respond to God, to just kind of reflect and think through areas where God may be calling you to think differently about your decisions now because it really is for your own good. And maybe there's a natural resistance to issues of holiness for you. And just kind of think through those areas of resistance. And are you responding with spiritual maturity or with spiritual infancy to the challenges that the Holy Spirit has given you? There are a number of ways uh, for you to respond. As I mentioned, the cross, you can come and nail something to the cross where maybe that's something that you wish you knew then that you know now, and so you can just remind yourself that you have been forgiven for that if you've asked God for forgiveness. Leave it here. You don't have to bring that with you. You don't have to take that out with you. There are a number of different options here in the room. You can come for prayer. You can light a candle, bring in the light of Christ into some area of your life or in the life of someone you care about. There's anointing over here to the right where um, someone on the pastoral team or on the board would be honored to anoint you, as outlined in James 5, representing the healing power of God. 
you can uh, receive assisted prayer at either the exits or um, communion in the center. We ask that you only do that if you are a follower of Christ with regard to the communion piece. Or if you're new, you can just sit and uh, observe. You can think, pray. But we invite you to be focused on God over these next few moments. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for how you respond to our regrets. How you allow us to experience freedom through our regrets. That we all have things that we look back on and we wish we had known then. And so, God, we thank you for the forgiveness that you offer. And for any here in this room who need forgiveness for something from their past, God, would you pour that into their hearts now? Would they spend the, the next few moments just experiencing your forgiveness here, the forgiveness that you offer when we confess to you? And, God, I pray for future regrets. I pray against them, God. That each one of us would make decisions now that would be honoring to you so that it may go well with us because it truly is for our own good because you love us. We want to hear from you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.